in the next 10 minutes, or maybe 11, we will settle the greatest theological debate that has been ongoing now for thousands of years. You're listening to the 10 Minute Think Through. It's the point conversation about the Bible, theology, and current events. Took us 103, 104 episodes. We put it off so long. A uh, question often gets asked about predestination and free will, Calvinism, Arminianism, whether or not we are free to choose for ourselves, whether or not we'll be saved, or whether we've been chosen from the foundation of the world. So uh, we're going to dig into that. We're going to talk about that really plainly. Uh, we're hesitant to address these things in our world, especially our part of the world where uh, we're currently located in small town USA because of uh, the labels that get attached and I believe skewed by American Bible Belt definitions. Um, particular denominations hold to one side or the other of this debate. And in our part of the world, if you are... Uh, if you're Presbyterian, you would be then a Calvinist. Otherwise, uh, nope, not so much. You're not supposed to believe these things. And uh, we have so much history and tradition that is coloring over what are actual theological definitions, even quotations out of the mouths of these theologians and scholars through the ages. So it's a real question, and it's a question that no matter what we say, in some ways— uh, people are just going to hear what they hear because of what we've been told by our our papal, right, in our in our existence. It's really interesting that you say that. I remember one of the conversations I had at, at a very relatively young age about theology. I was 16 years old. I asked my grandfather, who was a Baptist preacher, I said, what are your thoughts on Calvinism? And his only response was that you should be careful. <laughs> so, <laughs> Watch out. That's right. Be careful with that Calvinism. It'll burn you. Yeah, so uh, first and foremost, we would say, whether you, wherever you land on this particular issue, we are free to enjoy one another, fellowship one another, pull for one another, be on the same team with one another. This is not a closed-handed debate. This is not something that, if you're going to be a Christian, you must fall along all of uh, these particular viewpoints in one, one side or the other. I also think it's important to remember that we don't get to decide. <laughs> like we're talking about like our perspectives, but not our truths at the end of the day. There's a truth and we're just, you know, we're working through trying to figure it out together. Right. Yeah. The apostle Paul wrestles with this from really what looks to be both sides of the issue, Romans nine, 10 and 11. And at the end of chapter 11, you have what's usually referred to as a doxology. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. This is this is uh, a two-sided coin that um, that leaves us in the end to to just stand in awe of who God is. All right, so let's just for if just a refresher, uh, what is Calvinism? Brett, Calvinism, <laughs> Calvinism. It should be said is often identified with the acrostic tulip, T-U-L-I-P. Those five points of Calvinism are a reaction to the five points of Arminianism. So Jacob Arminius lived and uh, taught before John Calvin. His followers summarized his teaching in a certain way, and then along the way, uh, Calvin's teaching began to be summarized really in many ways as opposition to these five points of theology that Arminius had spelled out. So the T stands for total depravity. 
total depravity. So it speaks of the sinfulness of man, um, stating really that in our natures, we totally lack spiritual good before God. You can write these down if you want to study in depth. Romans 7.18, Titus 1.5, Jeremiah 17.9. You, Brett. You stands for unconditional election. What that means is, is that when God chooses, when God does uh, make his uh, destination, predestination, it is not based on any merit found in us, but only uh, in God's choice. A great place for uh, for that is Ephesians 1, 5, and also, I would add, maybe the Apostle Paul Yeah, himself. so people will ask underneath that point, really, does God choose or does he choose based on knowing what choice we will make, right? That's often a distinction that gets made there under unconditional election. Yeah, so then L would be limited atonement. Uh, limited atonement is the idea that Jesus, while Jesus' death was good enough for everyone, like the redemption part is targeted at specific people. Um, so he has chosen you. So when you say like, Jesus loves me, you're like, yes, he does love me because I am one of the people, you know, that he has, he has atoned. Um, so the scriptures that we see for that, um, where this view comes from is Ephesians 1, 3 through 4, uh, 2, 8, uh, Philippians 1, 29, and 1 Timothy 4, 10. I it stands for irresistible grace, also known as effective calling. It's that God's Spirit works within us and regenerates us, so He gives us new life. We think of John 3. He breathes life into us in order to be born again so that, so that it is impossible to resist. So that then gives us the ability to respond in faith. That when God desires to save, he gives grace for us to, to then uh, choose at that point, really, that he works in such a way as to overcome us and uh, lead us to, uh, to make that choice to, to follow him. Finally, P, perseverance of the saints. That means that if God's power is enough to save you, God's power is also enough to keep you persevering as a Christian until the end of your life. Uh, John 6, 38 through 40, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, and John 8, 31 through 32 would be good text to consider in light of that subject. Yeah, all three of us, I think, consider ourselves, and there's another word we would use as uh, to be reformed, reformed in our theology, in our, in our salvation, our soteriology, our doctrines of salvation, which would mean then that, uh, that God has uh, identifiable, uh, from his point of view, elect, a standpoint, uh, when he looks down, uh, the standpoint he, he looks down and sees is those he has chosen, uh, for salvation through Christ. The three of us hold to that position, um, and oftentimes what then gets said is, well, if you hold to that position, then does it matter if we respond? And to be clear, uh, every decision that we make is a real decision. So if I say you know, to my daughter, do you want to uh, choose this pink outfit or that purple outfit or this pink outfit or that purple outfit that's all she has by the way just those two colors <laughs> i know she's going to choose one of one of those things um but i'm giving her a real choice right it's a real choice it's not just uh arbitrary it's not that she's a robot uh god works through our actions our actions are decisive right they they matter and they're very real uh, when we think of our stories, think of your testimony. And I remember putting my faith in Christ, remember exactly where I was, 
some of these points, particularly the way that, that God drew me to himself, I had heard the gospel many times before. You know, I, I knew the facts, I knew the stories, and yet there was something about the way that he uh, was speaking to me even on that night where I look back now and I think, man, that's exactly what he was up to. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about the Calvinistic perspective is it's so personal because what, what we're saying is we're trusting the Holy Spirit is reaching to my heart and is speaking to me. And that when I love him, it's because he has drawn me to him. That's a beautiful thing. Like that's a father-child kind of a yeah, relationship. Absolutely. I think for me, the, uh, it is the God's definitions take, uh, they're the ones who take precedence. So uh, definitions of, of good are not my definitions of good, but God's definitions of good. Uh, and so, so for me, I think that the, the most compelling part of this argument is that uh, the sovereignty of God uh, is, is definitely put, uh, put in focus as maybe a central, uh, a central part of the doctrine. Yeah. When I think, when I hear um, a lot of people who have, uh, who have just a lot of questions about this Calvinistic perspective, um, often the concern comes from salvation, because if you're saying that God chooses people for heaven, he cho- chooses them into his family, that he's also choosing people to be out of his family and choosing people for hell. So that's where the predestination part gets a little bit discouraging for a lot of people is, well, would God really choose, you know, this person that he would choose for them to go to hell? Um, and the metaphor that I've heard often is the one of like um, comparing humanity to like being in a massive car accident and, and God is like the EMT arriving on scene and he's choosing what people he's saving and which he's not. Um, but as I think about that, I think probably a more accurate metaphor that we see in scripture would be that we're all criminals. We've all been judged guilty, right? And then God is the judge and in his mercy, he's sparing some of us, but all of us are we all deserve death, right? So that's where that total depravity component comes in. Yeah, the central point of Calvinism is that God does everything he does for his own glory. Yeah. And uh, his glory is the ultimate good. And so he will be seen by all, and he is not in our service so as to, you know, take what definitions we might make and and fit himself into those those categories. He does all he does, as you said, Brett, for ultimate good and the way that he would define that. And I think that, uh, again, is so, um, that is comforting to me. That makes God seem not not mean and not far. That means it makes him seem so personal and in charge um, that, that the universe itself exists not for my benefit, but in order to point to the glory of God, that humanity exists, that even, uh, even salvation exists not for just the saving of man, but salvation exists for the glory of God itself. And so that, that, that anyone is saved is, is a miracle. Not that some aren't is proof that God is mean, but that one person was ever saved is a miracle and miraculous like demonstration of God's graciousness and kindness in his grandeur and sovereignty. Yeah, and just like Ben is saying, there's no denying whatever your perspective is that there is a component of free will and there's a component of God's sovereignty. If you look at scripture, both are there. It's just trying to understand how do they work together, which comes first. I think that's where you answer the question a little bit differently. Because we, I think most Christians will agree God is all-knowing. And most Christians will agree that your relationship with God 
is intentional. It didn't sort of just like you didn't wake up one day and I'm a Christian today. Like, you know, Ben was saying, all of our testimonies begins with us repenting, turning away and turning to something. And the Calvinist view would say that, you know, it's God's spirit in you that's doing that. So if, you know, you're like, oh no, like, am I predestined for heaven? Just the concern by itself is evidence probably that you're not, you know? That you, that you are. Right, is what you're saying. Right, that, right, 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 yeah, right. That yeah. you have been predestined from heaven just because you are concerned. Yeah, if, yeah. You're, if you if you wonder if you could be saved based on whether or not you know your love for Jesus is real, like if you love Jesus, you're chosen. Right, right. you are elect. If you've come to Him by faith, if you trust Him, if all your hope for eternity is placed in Him, there's there's no. That's a really important point. There's no one who arrives at eternity surprised. Yeah. You know, we don't get there and say, well, I prayed a prayer. I trust you. I live my whole life for you. That's not how, that's not how it works. Even when Jesus says, people say to me, Lord, Lord, he, we're not, in that scenario, what he's talking about, uh, where he says uh, that you, you, that he never knew us, what he's, what he would be saying is that was just earthly confession. That was just lip service. When someone genuinely loves Christ with all of their heart, that person we don't ex- we we are not going to arrive on the other side and and be like oh man i totally thought you know i thought he was in or uh, or get shocked that someone who lived their whole life for themselves is in heaven like that's not we have very real choices and real clear evidence and fruit on earth as well i actually b- began to fall in love with reformed doctrine in an attempt to dis, like dissuade people from thinking that way. I think that wow. one of the reasons that people have such a difficult time with Reformed theology or Calvinism is because at some point maybe they met a Calvinist in college who was more concerned about converting them to Calvinism than Christianity. <laughs> right. And so I had that experience many times. And so I actually uh, sat down to to write this thesis and and show people that like that it, it made no sense that it was very cold hearted and that it was really like a, a scientific way of thinking about some real mysterious faith issues. And, and for me, just, um, the arguments don't stand and that for me at the end of the day, the security part is not there. Uh, and so there should be, there's a lot for the Arminians. There's a lot that should keep them up at night and worried and afraid about losing their salvation. And so for me, there's so much comfort and security in leaning more towards sovereignty of God than there is on my desire to be in control myself. Yeah, even in evangelism, I'm just going to say there's there's rest in knowing that the results are up to God. I don't have to convince or persuade or use all the right words. I can just rest in, in His sovereignty. Yeah, and that's the other thing. Another concern that you hear often is you know, well, if you are, if you have a reformed theology, why have missionaries? Why evangelize if God's already chosen? Um, and that's nonsense. Can we say that? That's just, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's because we don't know who <laughs> is chosen. Yeah, exactly. Right? So we share the gospel and freely the with only everyone. Way we, the only reason we talk about Jesus is to convert somebody, not because we love him, yeah. and because we want to talk about him. <laughs> I mean, you think about like, you know, John Calvin, he created a seminary. He sent out missionaries and all these other, you know, um, all these other people, reformers after him, who and you know Martin Luther, um, who either were missionaries or trained other missionaries to evangelize. So, I mean, evangelism is actually quite crucial to this process. It's saying we have a responsibility that was that 
was predestined to us not just to go nat- out. It's not just natural It's or, or crucial. It's natural. Yeah. It's an outspring of, the, like, the glory of God is an a emitter. Uh, it sends you out. Yeah, and it's, you know, the term hyper-Calvinism gets thrown around a lot. People say that to describe those who would say that you don't need to share the gospel. God will take care of it all in the end. That's not what we're saying. That's not in any way um, biblical, and so we would not, um, we wouldn't hold to that in any way. And I would just simply also point out that if you pray for anyone to be saved, there's a certain degree to which you must believe that God is sovereign over salvation. Because otherwise, why would you ask him to save them? Why would you ask him to draw them to himself? Why would you ask him to convict them, convict them of sin? Um, we believe it. We know uh, and, and rest in the fact that uh, Christ knows who are his people, right? And so he, he then is able to save them and keep them by his power. Yeah, I think just like you said at the beginning, Ben, just to reiterate, this is important of an issue um, not to compromise on our pursuit of brotherhood in the gospel um, with other Christians who have opposing views. Um, This isn't something to like, you know, die on your hill defending. Um, So I had written down uh, 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 25, where he said, And the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, uh, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Um, so this is something hopefully we can continue talking about in a really healthy kind of a, a way, but not something to, to divide us on. Thanks for listening to this episode of the 10 Minute Think Through. If you enjoyed our podcast, please take a moment to rate us on the iTunes or Android podcast store. You can find all of our episodes and submit a topic request on our website, 10minutethinkthrough.com.